Hey guys, welcome to There Are No Instructions, where every week I tackle some pretty tough topics that maybe a lot of people don't want to talk about. I share my opinions on how I felt about certain topics before I had a kid as well as after I had a kid and how things um, have changed for me and how perspectives have changed. Um, I am your host, Karina, and today we are going to talk about race and white fragility. So recently, one of my friends and coworkers asked me um, about white fragility. She told me that in her neighborhood, there is a billboard that said, Portland, your white fragility is showing. And this was a phrase I had never heard before until she had brought it to my attention. And we started discussing exactly what white fragility kind of meant. I told her that since I had never heard the phrase, I had literally no idea what it meant. So I googled it and I was fascinated from what I found. So fascinated that I bought um, Robin D'Angelo's book called White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. And before I jump into what her book is kind of all about and her perspectives on white fragility and her studies on it, I'm going to give you a little piece of how I view racism as being a person of color and the difference between seeing racism prior to have a having a baby and after having a baby because my views have genuinely changed. I am of mixed race and now having a daughter of mixed race, it's trying to figure out how to explain to her as she gets older the perspectives of the world around her and how she is going to identify racial comments, racial behaviors, and how she's going to handle those things. Growing up, I went to predominantly white schools, middle school and high school. I was basically the only black person. Um, I mean, kids joked around that um, my nickname was Token because I had dyed my hair a certain color. They called me Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Um, And these were all things that I never took as racist comments because we were growing up, you know, we were kids. I, I lived in a predominantly white neighborhood and the schools I went to um, didn't have black people. And I genuinely just saw it as joking. It never offended me. I never thought anything of it. I thought it was funny. Then in my senior year of high school, I moved schools and I almost had a culture shock. There were so many people of color there, blacks, Hispanics, um, you kind of name it. And it was just a mixture of so many different races. And that was the moment when I looked in the mirror and realized I am that demographic. I am a person of color. And I know this probably sounds really weird to people, 
Um, I've been told I talk white. Um, I've been told I act white. Um, I straighten my hair all of the time. And it was basically because of the way I grew up, the society that I grew up in. I was competing with these gorgeous, blonde, blue-eyed, you know, girls. I, for some reason, tried to mold into that. So when I moved schools my senior year of high school, it genuinely kind of was a culture shock. And here is where I'm going to paint a picture for you. The first day I walked into that cafeteria, I saw a great divide. Every person of color was sitting in kind of a respected section. It was all white kids on the left. It was all black kids kind of in the center. And then you had Hispanics kind of back in the corner. You had um, Middle Eastern off to like the far right. Everyone was sitting in a section. And it was the first time I was faced with where am I going to sit? And I chose the whites. I chose sitting with all of the white people in the school because that's what I felt comfortable with. That is the demographic that was in all of my previous schools before moving to this, you know, new school. That's where I felt the most comfortable. And looking at that cafeteria, it was so strange to me that for so long, even uh, up until even today, we are fighting to cross the divide. We are fighting for this kind of society where we can all work together, that we can all kind of make a community of multiple races. But looking at that cafeteria, I realized there kind of there will always be that divide. There will always be black people sitting in the center of the cafeteria with no white people and there will always be white people sitting off to the other side of the cafeteria with no people of color. And that was a stark, stark reality for me. Moving on to college is where I I finally was hit with further reality of my skin color and my skin color mixed with my personality and how I act. Um, so my first year of college, uh, they held a, uh, like a club fair, an organization flair of where they had all of the clubs on campus, um, put out tables and you can gather information about them. I was walking through with one of my friends who's white and, um, I stopped at the Black Student Union and I wanted to get information. And the greatest thing about this is I was told I was not Black enough to join the Student Union. And I, I, people know me as somebody that can come up with really quick wit responses. And I've been told I'm incredibly sassy 
And I was speechless. I had no idea how to respond to that. I was shocked. So I walked away feeling like I had no connection to that part of me, to that half black identification. And that is when I stopped identifying as black. And by no means am I a saint in this situation. I am not innocent in the matter. I have said things that were inappropriate. So a couple minutes later, my friends and I stopped at the Latter-day Saints table. And there was a person of color sitting behind the, the table. And I picked up a pamphlet and I looked at him. And then I looked at my friend and I said, I didn't know they let black people in the Mormon church. And my friend's jaw dropped. And she looked at me just completely horrified. And I understand that it was a completely inappropriate thing to say. Um, and that's, I, I didn't realize it at the time because I genuinely didn't know that. And it, it wasn't that long ago, I guess I was told that black people could join the Mormon church. Um, so it was said out of ignorance. And that's the thing. A lot of things that people say are said out of ignorance and we need to be at a point where we need to educate. Um, We need to educate people that they need to understand that there are things that are genuinely so inappropriate to say. So at this point, I didn't feel like I could identify with being black and then as I got older and went through college, I realized that I also didn't identify with being Indonesian. My mom would take me to all sorts of Indonesian events, and I did Indonesian dancing for a while, but I didn't feel connected to that. I didn't feel connected to the traditions. I didn't feel connected to you know, the history. And I don't want to put blame on my mom at all. But you know, my mom speaks Indonesian. I'm first generation here on her side. And she didn't teach me the language. And that's not her fault at all. When she came here, and when she got pregnant with me, she was trying to learn English. So she was focusing on that. And she was focusing on building a career and a life here and to provide for me because she was a single mom. So, you know, she lacked the time and the ability to do that. And because I went to these Indonesian, you know, events and religious things and I didn't speak Indonesian and everyone around me was speaking Indonesian. I started to reject that part of me. I started to not want to go to religious events. I didn't want to go to these dinners. I didn't want to take Indonesian dance classes. And I I started to not want to be a part of that. But then I found myself in this limbo of not identifying 
with either race. So where, who was I going to identify with? What demographic was I going to identify with? And while I was in grad school, I had a conversation with a colleague where we talked about identification and personal identification. And he asked me, um, even though you are mixed race, what race do you identify with? What race would you say you are closest to or that you are? And I told him white. So moving on from the ages of 24 to 27 before having my daughter, I did not like talking about race. I did not watch the show Dear White People because I felt it promoted a level of entitlement that black people should have due to everything that happened to them in, you know, the history of America. I didn't want to talk about my perspectives of living in Portland where I don't see or interact with a lot of black people. I didn't want to talk about any of it because it annoyed me. And when I walked down the street with my husband who was white, I saw the looks that I would get from black men and I would see the looks that I would get from white women or and the looks that I get from black women um and you'd think in today's society being an interracial couple wouldn't be an issue so one night I was talking with my husband husband and we were talking about being in an interracial relationship and I told him flat out I was like yeah I see the looks yeah I pick up on the nonverbal cues of racism I see it and he told me that he had never you know noticed it and I I simply said it's because you're white and he didn't disagree with me and by no means is my husband racist that absolutely not he is more accepting of other races than I would say I am and he realized I think for the first time that being in an interracial relationship and an interracial marriage there were different types of obstacles that we were faced with and recently my husband you know kind of joked that everybody should just be in interracial relationships because you can't white people can't see from the perspective of a person of color it's just not possible and people of color can explain it until they're out of breath and they're still not able to get the perspective across and now moving on to um robin's book about white fragility this is where everything changed for me. This is where now as a mother, I realized, no, I need to be a part of this group of people that need to educate, you know, white people. We need to educate the community. Um, and I need to be more aware of my skin color and the impact I have on my marriage, on my community, on my daughter, on other children to, you know, kind of make a difference, to make people aware of what is going on around them. So 
Um, instead of doing a mom's in the news segment, I'm going to do a, a book segment, a Robin D'Angelo's white fragility segment. D'Angelo um, coined the term white fragility to um, kind of describe uh, white people's defensiveness when um, their ideas and views about race and racism are challenged. And she kind of makes a point that it's not just the outwardly um, racist and um, white supremacists that are part of the problem. It is also the white progressives. And I agree with that. Um, there are times where I am talking with somebody that I know, a friend that is not by any means racist, and they either say something or do something that I want to call them out on because it's inappropriate. But I choose not to because I know the conversation that is about to follow is going to be them being, well, I'm not racist. I didn't mean anything by it. It's just a phrase or I wasn't trying to offend you. Um, and you know that I'm not racist or they'll say something like, I have a lot of black friends, so I can't be racist. And those are the conversations I don't want to have. So I just brush it off. I leave it alone. But I think in the back of my mind, I'm like, if I don't say something and they act or say the same exact thing to another black person that really pisses them off, they're going to be faced with probably a way worse situation than if I had some something to say about it or if I had stopped, you know, what they said or their actions. So it's really kind of a dilemma um, that happens when I'm talking to a group of friends that are white or an individual that is white. You want to call them out on it, but you feel like you can't because you know that they're going to get defensive and you, I mean, at least I really don't want to get into that conversation where at the end of it, I'm rolling my eyes and I'm like, you know, whatever. Furthermore, she goes on to talk about, um, colorblind racism and how people will state, well, I don't see skin color. I don't see different races. We are all the same people. And then she begs the question, well, how do you acknowledge racism? How do you identify racism? How do you address racial issues? And it's a very, very valid question. Um, and alongside this comes the whole white privilege situation where, you know, I have told white friends um, to check their white privilege at the door. You need to check it before you walk out of your house. And this is simply because D'Angelo notes in her book that there is this, you know, white innocence of people that are leaving it up to people of color to teach and, you know, explain things to white people. It's put on people of color. It, it becomes their responsibility to talk openly about racism and racial matters. And that in turn puts pressure and tension and risk of dangers on 
black people, deterring it away from whites. And that is an issue. It's everyone is involved in trying to create a knowledgeable community. It's not just the people of color's responsibility to share experiences and perspectives. It also comes from, you know, white people's duty to be kind of inquisitive, to ask questions that when, you know, a person of color says, hey, you shouldn't say that, that's kind of racist, that instead of getting defensive, you say, oh, well, tell me more about this. Did you have an experience in the past with this phrase that is noting it as something that's racist. Tell me your perspective on this phrase. Tell me how it is racist so I can correct, you know, my actions, correct the things that I say. And it's not that we are calling white people out on being like, that was racist. You are now racist. That is not what is happening. It's saying, what you said, what you did is just racist, and I'm going to tell you why, and we're going to have a discussion about this, and you don't need to be defensive by any means. And now, as a mom, I'm seeing racial issues that parents have with their children. I mean, people will say kids don't grow up seeing skin color, kids don't grow up racist. And while kids may not grow up racist, they do acknowledge skin color. A person of color can come home and be like to their parents, mom, dad, why is my skin color different from Jimmy's on the playground? And then they have to have that conversation with their child. And another very interesting thing to me is that I have friends that have kids that are, you know, preschool age and about to start kindergarten. And they will tell me things like, oh, that great school across the street favors people of color and girls. And they will have wait lists of, or applications of, you know, dozens, maybe hundreds of children trying to get into the school. And people of color are pushed to the top of that waiting list. They have all of a sudden these advantages that are taken away from white children. And I do have a significant problem with this. So my nurse practitioner that I work with um, is kind of upper middle class. She has two white boys and their advantages of going to great schools like the ones that prefer girls and people of color is taken away from them. So all of a sudden, these racial issues are stifling the success of white children. And while you can disagree with me every single day, every single hour, every single minute about this statement, because you can say, well, they are born with white privilege, so they're going to get ahead no matter what. But that's not the point. We should be focusing on allowing children of every color to get all of the same advantages and education that it should never just be singled out and I will admit I've joked with my husband who is literally you know the whitest of the white that I'm like when we start touring kindergartens you can't come (laughs) I'm like you can't come I'm only gonna go because I'm black and I want our daughter to get in to a school and that I mean I say it completely jokingly but there is a sense of truth to those kinds of statements saying that you know if I want 
my daughter, if we want our daughter to have more advantages, we need those school administrators to know that she's of mixed race. We need them to know that her mother is, you know, of also mixed race. And we have to use that to our advantage. And that's honestly one of the saddest things that we can use that to our advantage. And it shouldn't kind of be like that. So while I hope my daughter never experiences any type of racism, I want her to know that she needs to be able to identify racial issues. She needs to feel completely comfortable talking about race and talking about her parents being in an interracial marriage and her being of mixed race. I need to let her know that it's okay to call somebody out, even if those racial statements aren't directed towards her. And it's also my husband's responsibility to kind of teach her his perspective on racial issues and how it's viewed from the white perspective and experience. I think at the end of the day, I do have a little bit of advantages here growing up in a predominantly white environment and then being a person of color and realizing the verbal and nonverbal racial discrimination that is directed towards me, I I do feel like I can see kind of both sides of the picture because my perspective, I believe, is a little bit more broader having seen it and experienced it from a white environment and then experiencing it from a greatly racial, diverse environment. At the end of this all, those listening, if you want to disagree with me on everything that I just talked about, that's totally fine. And if you want to say, no, I am not like this, white people are not like this, you are then just confirming D'Angelo's statement on what white fragility is all about. And I urge you to reach out to me if you have any questions, if you are concerned that something you might say is racist, um, and just see if I have had any experience with what you might believe that it is. You know, I'm going to bring up a quote from one of my favorite TV shows, Grey's Anatomy, where one of the black doctors is having a conversation with a white doctor and the white doctor is, you know, trying to apologize for something that she doesn't know was racist. And the other doctor was like, no, that is racist. And she says, if you think what you are about to say or what you are about to do is racist, don't do it. Just don't do it. And then you can ask at a later time. I was going to say this. I was going to do this. Can we have a conversation about it? And that's really all I ask. And I can't speak on behalf of other races. I can't speak on behalf of other people of color. But I want to say that they might agree with that action. Okay, guys. So I 
am done rambling about race, racial issues, and white fragility. If you want to uh, comment on anything, ask me any questions, or disagree with me, feel free to write me an email at rhetoricalmom at gmail.com. That's R-H-E-T-O-R-I-C-A-L mom at gmail.com or visit my website www.rhetoricalmom.com. I hope you guys join me next week where I talk about social media and how it's probably ruining my life, my husband's life, your life, and our daughter's life. I hope you guys have a great rest of your Tuesday and a great rest of your week. And just really quick, white people, I'm sorry I'm going to say this, but dude, guys, check your white privilege before you walk out your fucking door.